0: Hey, up! It's another episode of the Edu Futurist podcast. It is. Uh, it's great to be here again, um, chatting all things the future of education. Steve, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm really good, really good. Um, I think it was either last time or the time before. It was it, it, it's, uh, when we had when we had a conversation with Lawrence Degiani, um We talked about the fact that myself, you, and Lawrence at Bett had, had been out running, and apart from that, I'd not really run a bath. And I was like, right, I need to get on it. So uh, me. For anybody who knows me, um, I'm like, right, I focus better when I've got a, a goal in mind. So I was like, right, what can I do? So yeah, I booked onto a 10 miler. So I've got a 10 miler in miles. just over a month. So first one of the year. Uh, I've never actually done the 10 mile distance, but uh, from running, it's rather than couch to 5K, it's running a bath to running 10 miles. Will be the, <laughs> the slogan that is yeah. all over social. So, uh, so yeah, but yeah. other than that, really good, really good. I know that you're flying out uh, on holiday, Ben. I'm getting to go to Basingstoke. Uh, all the same things, isn't it? Do you know, do you know. Why is it not? Do you know, so you know, we're getting to go on holiday. I get to leave the house.
0: Potatoes, potatoes. That's what it is. <laughs> it's me. T- it Tenerife, amazing stuff. What it oh, is? Oh,
1: potato, potatoes, bravos. Were you saying then, Biden? You know, are you? Yes, are ready for the uh, nice. for the tapas. Yeah, yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, things things <laughs> oh, are good. We 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 go to uh, we go to Tenerife. Looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to a bit of downtime. Um, although my friend did say to me, um what book are you reading while you go away? And I listed him four and he said, you're going for seven days, right? I was like, yeah, do you think I need another one? So I gave him, I um, <laughs> there's five books going in I reckon, I, reckon I, I won't be far off getting through them. So, yeah, all good, excited times. Uh, in fact, I'm looking forward to getting started on this bad boy, The Working Classroom, if anybody is watching. Uh, we are looking forward, uh, beginning, back the end of February, actually, we are inter- interviewing Matt Bromley and Andy Griffith about their book, The Working Classroom. Um, obviously, we're passionate about making sure there's equity in classrooms and and that it's fair. and And what do we do for for those that don't have? Uh, and that's very, very important. And I think that will come up in our conversations today as well. Um, yeah, mate, we we vowed that we would have a shorter intros today, and I said two minutes, and we're at two thirty three. So I think I think it's about time we bring in our guests. And we're very fortunate today to bring in two guests. Um, one that's been on the podcast previously, back. In episode 164, which seems sounds like forever ago, uh, and it is—it's two years ago, January 2022—and that's uh, Ed Kerwan. Uh, and then also we are joined by Dr. Helen Dimitriou from the University of Cambridge. So I'll bring those in, uh, and we'll let them introduce themselves. Um, Helen, uh, first time, so you've got to be the first person to, to give us a little bit of an intro. Tell us a little bit about, about you and, uh, and 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 why what you might be talking about on the podcast today.
2: Okay, thank you, Ben, very much. And it's a pleasure to be here. Um, my, uh, I'll tell you a bit about myself. My background is psychology. I started uh, 30 years ago um, with my PhD back at the Institute of Psychiatry in London, where I studied the origins of empathy, or at least I was looking to see <laughs> Um, how empathy starts among, and I looked at toddlers in particular. Then, um, so that's my background. Going back uh, about twenty-five years ago, I joined the Faculty of Education in Cambridge, where I researched for a number of organisations, Ofsted, DFE, QCA, on various issues to do with listening to to learners, pupil voice. But empathy was never far away with that. So I'm currently Associate Professor of Education um, at the Faculty of Education at the University of Cambridge and I do still conduct um, some research into empathy but primarily I teach across undergraduate, master's and PhD levels. So it's really nice to be here today and thank you for having me.
0: Thanks, Helen. Um, we're looking forward to diving into some of that. If somebody's been in the world of empathy for as long as um, as long as that and, he's, and he's, is interested in in that sense, I imagine that when Ed found out about you, he was like, this is a person I need to have a conversation with. So, Ed, tell us a little bit for those who haven't uh, met you before and haven't listened to episode 164. I'll do that plug again. Episode 164. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and, and the work that you do.
3: Yeah, amazing. Thank you, gents, for having me back. And it's great to bring Helen uh, this time with me. As as you said, I pretty much probably, I think, hounded Helen on emails when I saw some of her research. I was like, I need to speak to this person. Um, and you'll probably, probably hear a little bit about how we've worked together uh, since. But, yeah, my background is that I previously was a science teacher in North London, um, did three years of, of teaching, loved it, absolutely loved the classroom, but decided to take a, a sort of time out having, studying the master's and education at the same time, whilst also being head of department and then the head teacher was changing. Lots of things were changing in the school. I was only 25. I decided for the first time in my life uh, not to be in, ed- in an education setting and found that quite interesting and realized I could do what I wanted with my time. And that actually led kind of organically into me becoming a filmmaker and having that time led then to uh, really launching the first empathy week in February, 2020, which was not a fantastic time to launch anything. Um, but ultimately what what I do now and what we do as an organization is we use the power of film to develop the skill of empathy in in specifically in students age five to 18. And we're going into our fifth year this year, the structure is changing slightly, but we're still very much about storytelling experiences and opportunities. And I'm super passionate about giving every student the opportunity to feel seen heard and understood i think that is ultimately what um we all desire whether we're in education or not whether we're a two year old toddler or we're an eight year old uh sort of navigating life we all want to feel like, feel like we belong and ultimately empathy is the foundational skill to do that and that's why i'm so passionate about it and so delighted also that helen um has helped helped me and helped us in the past and is here to talk about her work as well which is amazing so Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well it is it's brilliant to have you both and we're very looking for very much looking forward to this discussion around that that conversation of empathy, the importance of empathy in education. Um, I suppose if we should start at the fundamentals, if you were to define and Helen will come to you if that's all right, if you were to define that term empathy um, and it's the need for it in education, how would you where would we start?
2: Mm, that's a really good question. And over the decades, the the uh, definition has changed, or at least the emphasis has changed. But for me, uh, empathy consists of or well, three things. Um, it can be a feeling type of emotion where you feel what somebody else is going through. You're literally um, going through that experience. Kind of firsthand, and often arguably and um, you're more likely to do that if you've possibly experienced what they're experiencing in, if, right now and that you've experienced it before uh, but it's still possible to have that feeling type of empathy for someone if you're that personality type and um, prone to that. Then the second dimension of empathy, and we can do one or more of these things, is a more perspective-taking, cognitive empathy, where we, um, it's its sort of empathizing from, if you like, a distance, where we understand what that person is going through, but we don't quite feel the emotions that I mentioned in that previous um, bit of uh, the definition. And then a third very important component of empathy, it's not just the thinking and or the feeling. Um, It's very much a, some people call it a superpower, because um, you can be compassionate and you can actually do something about what that person is going through. So it's all very well thinking and feeling. And of course, it's a start and it's important. But it's actually that proactive um, action that then happens as a consequence of the thinking and the feeling. And where education is concerned, um, I I like what Ed said about the importance of being seen and heard, and and we all need that. It's important for for us as people, for self-esteem, for confidence. Um, But it's also important that we know much more than what happens within the remit of the classroom that we as learners don't just finish uh, with. Of course, it's important to have academic credentials and move on successfully, but it's just as important to be a holistic learner and Mm -hmm. understand the social and the emotional side of of life and, and to leave education with that in tow. So immersive experiences like the ones that Ed with Empathy Week um, offers and other experiences that I've known have have been incredibly powerful to propel students and learners into that, that domain for after school life
0: yeah i love that and i love those as as like tears of understanding so sometimes it's 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 a distant understanding but it's a it's a connection there's a there's a closeness in terms of um feeling that and 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 understanding pain with them or understanding joy or understanding the story and then obviously that movement in towards uh, compassionate action i listened to arthur brooks on stephen bartler's podcast recently and one of the things he said was empathy isn't enough on its own Um, and i was i was interested to hear people's thoughts on this empathy isn't enough on its own uh, until it becomes compassion and he was talking about that in in context around developing happiness and actually um uh, what i'm hearing from what you're saying is that empathy can extend into compassion and extend into compassionate action and actually the work that 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 you're doing, Ed, and the work that you, that you that you're researching, Helen, is based actually not just on yes, an understanding and a feeling, but what can we do to make a difference in people's lives from that understanding. Uh, so empathy is the grounding, and then there's a the next step. Is that right, Ed?
2: You're absolutely um, right then absolutely it's a stepping stone and it's something it's that essential component or components that lead up to that very important um being able to do something constructive and productive for the person who you're, you're looking at or you're 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 communicating with absolutely
3: and if I just add on to that I think what you've said is absolutely right and but, but what we always try and push is that empathy is not something to be felt or or experienced or practiced for someone that is worse off than you. And I think this is often the the mistake that people make. And also the mistake people make with compassion is that, oh, you have to have compassion for people that are worse off than you. You you can connect with someone. I, I always put it like this. Imagine a child who has worked all year round or worked for months to get their 10 meter swimming badge, for example, and then they get it and they're ecstatic and they're, really happy and then you go oh well done okay next 20 meters and you give them absolutely no sort of you know love towards the work they've done no understanding i mean that's quite a simple one but that child won't feel they're seen heard understood they won't necessarily feel like someone's understood the work that they've gone through they don't feel valued and that's a really positive you know experience getting an achievement but actually if we're not there to like connect with that person and understand what they've been through to get to there, that is also a lack of empathy or a lack of compassion. So compassion can be for people in positive situations as well. And I think that's something that we really need to start building into society is connecting and celebrating the positives with also people that might be worse off than you as well. And and empathy is that foundational skill, but sometimes also empathy is a choice and sometimes you, you don't need to be doing actions all the time other way because that can lead to burnout it is about recognizing when and where you can um help um and so often empathy and sympathy are pitched against each other but actually sympathy can be a really useful tool and a really useful thing to give to someone where someone can still feel that they're that they're loved but that they don't need to be fully understood they don't need someone you know Absorbing their feelings or really connecting with them. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's confusing because also like Helen said, you know, empathy is. If you look in the Oxford Dictionary definition, I don't necessarily fully believe without. Or I think it's oversimplified or it's not nuanced enough. And I always sort of pitch empathy, and Helen might disagree or agree with this, but a bit like leadership, right? And there's there's tons of different different definitions of it, and it depends in what which environment it's nuanced. Um, and and we need to just. I think it's simple yet yeah, complicated but I think the importance of it is what we're really trying to push that actually if you can understand another person and and as helen said with the cognitive side of it, it can be quite difficult because you might not have experienced what that person's done but if you can move if we can move people to be upskilled in that way that you can actually connect with someone who is quite different than you the power of that for society is going to be huge because it removes your own experiences and then you listen to someone else's and you really take that on board that is going to build connection relationships and i think looking at the state of the world at the moment one thing we need to do is be bridging experiences and making connections even with people that we disagree with so that we can build a a better society
2: and I like what you said, Ed, about it. it's not an all or nothing thing and it's building those connections, the upskilled word you mentioned, and it's not an all or nothing thing. We can, we can go a certain way to trying to understand um, other people. And, and that's better than nothing. And of course, to be able to connect with people's positive as well as, of course, negative experiences, it's all connection and an understanding. Um, so that, that's really important. And, um, and that link, that difference between sympathy and empathy, that many people do get confused with. Um, and I, yeah, I like what you. Yes, it's not. It's it's on a spectrum. It's not one thing is good and one thing is not. It's using these things wisely and and being aware of those skills that that you're you're using as well
1: yeah I've, um for anybody that's uh watching rather than listening um i was doing this in my head that means i've probably while well, i've been listening uh, to the chat the conversation thought about three different questions and i'm trying to understand which one i'm going to ask first and which way i'm going to take it uh i'm going to just kind of put it into the context of the work that um, i do on a regular basis and I apply to that context um i suppose people would call it the real world for those people in education i hate that term often because ultimately everything's a real world but in the work that i do we are um, a growing organization and we are recruiting recruiting um, we're not looking at um, qualifications per se depending if it's a specific type of word if, we, if you're a cloud architect and can't really demonstrate that you've done that then ultimately we do need that skill set but generally one of the things that i really really want to Pull out of people when we're having conversations, initial conversations with young people and across ages uh, when they come into a workplace like ours that is in the cloud and we don't have an office is that understanding of working as a team, that ability to positive conflict and give radical candor but also to have an understanding of of, other and and emphasize with other people's perspectives, even if you don't always agree. And I think that's a challenge right now because it's a case of, I don't agree with that person. I'm not sure I like them. That's, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is it's okay to have those conversations and, and have an understanding of somebody's opinion. That doesn't mean you always have to agree with somebody's opinion. And, and, one challenge especially in the in the younger generation i sound really really old i've just tipped before everybody i'm not that old but when i'm having conversations with with university leavers and even school leavers that haven't been to university one of the challenges is having that conversation around you might have some knowledge but how can you apply that to context and how can you take your wonderful planet-sized brain but really build a project either with somebody else alongside you that might have to play a part, but also work to a cut and have a conversation and really be able to challenge potentially what customer or somebody that working with might have. And it's having that conversation and and also then having that understanding of, Oh, I get it. I, I understand why there's a pain point there. And let's try and get to a resolution. It might not be something that appeases everybody, but it's a, it's a resolution through positive conversation. And I, i felt for probably a long time that learning for me really took place outside of education and i think it's it's taken outside of the the of education for many because we don't focus on it enough i think you know we Ben, we've gone in, going early with we're, we're not even at 18 minutes i'm going to talk about endpoint assessments and exams but ultimately we are two things i want to say about exams and i'm going to stop talking because i've probably spoke for about 17 minutes now um is we are getting people to sit in a room on their own and answering isolation questions, um, that really don't apply to any understanding of really what the conversation and the context of that question might be. But also, um, I spent a lot of time when I was in further education, thinking about progress, not passing. And when we talk about empathy, there is a great period of time at the end of uh, the summer in, in the UK or in England, where everybody will get some kind of result um, around the age of sixteen and then eighteen, whether that's BTECs, whether that's A levels, GCSEs, or vocational qualifications, whatever you're. But we only really celebrate, and we don't really emphasise or empathise with those people who've really made an effort but made progress, and we we only focus on the ones that have class, strive for five and passing, and all this other stuff. And I think we've got a real challenge in this country that. It's, if you've gone from a one and you're you're a FE student resitting maths and English, that that progress from a one to a two or even a low one to a high one in terms of a grade is significant progress and it needs to be championed and really fought through of the the progress that they've made. But we don't, we just say, well, technically you've not you're gonna have to go again because you didn't get your five this year. I, I, and I don't know if everybody's perspective on that without getting too political. But how, how do we change those bits of focusing on real things? and the skills, not just knowledge, but also then how do we champion things beyond just a a certificate or a grade and really celebrate and give empathy for everybody that's gone through a journey?
2: And and it really is, Steve, it really is important. You're talking about that holistic learner, not just those results, you know, at the end of the day, which of course they are important. We don't want to sort of demean those. For people to progress and move on, they need those to a degree but on the other hand it's more as important if not more to be able to obviously communicate socialize emotionalize with other people in that workplace otherwise what's the good of those so I think the solution and it's unfortunate that the curriculum often hasn't and doesn't have space um, for for learning those skills those very important life skills and it's it's that's when uh, programs like like EDS and other programs I'm, I'm aware of um, in the UK and abroad, um, have really tried to um, infuse those types of learning in the classroom, but not as an add-on, making it almost sort of part and parcel of learning within different lessons. I mean, it shouldn't be something that, now let's talk about empathy and how you can relate to people. It should be something that's seamless and happens from very early on. I'm thinking, even preschool. And it's it's being aware through picture books, through different ways that children can be aware of emotions and understand that that human element of learning is also extremely important. And, and it's having that in place <clears throat> and then living it like it's second nature, because it's not an extra surprise when it comes to suddenly the workplace and I need to interact. but. Oh, I've only got my wonderful qualifications in tow. How do I now use them, you know, productively? So um, it, it's that. And something like Empathy Week that Ed um champions and does so well is, is a great thing to introduce to schools so that um people can learn that those those skills, those very important skills.
0: Yeah, for sure. And we'll we'll jump into Empathy Week. Um Real soon, I promise. We'll talk about what you've been doing this this time and how it's developing. I just want to just circle back on something that Steve was obviously talking there about recruitment and looking at things beyond a set of grades. He was talking about how exams or endpoint assessments—not the exams, it's the endpoint high stakes terminal assessments—can often sometimes be um, the tail that wags the dog, so to speak. And we've said about this before about holistic development. We've talked about this uh, a lot of times, so it's really nice to resonate those things with um, somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what, but my my question then is, obviously you talked about how empathy develops and you'd researched in how that develops as uh, young people, um, even preschool. Um, One of the things that was that I'm trying to trying to figure out in my mind is, is it possible to feel, understand, or act upon um, our connection with somebody else if um, we haven't experienced something that they're going through? So the reason why I say that is, it, is that, and you're probably expecting this conversation, so um, I, I think about, I had a, a friend who had four bereavements in 12 months, um close people to him and um he obviously you wanted to be his friend you wanted to be there and and obviously f- uh, help 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 him through that space and whatever else um and uh i i, I remember saying things like um I, I'm, I'm with you um I, I, and i i remember once saying this phrase i feel your pain and he looked at me and he went you have no idea and it wasn't. It wasn't dismissive. He wasn't rude because he understood. And I, and I and I kind of had to stop myself. And I realised that perhaps is it possible for us to show empathy if we've not been and experienced it? Is that the difference between the sympathy and the empathy part? Um, I'm interested to to kind of hear a take on that. If that's uh, if that's all right.
2: I mean, Ben, that is a great question. And um, I think what I think primarily. There are some people who have that more empathizing personality, if you like. Um, so for them, it may be maybe a sort of more personality thing where they're more able to do that. But ultimately, as I mentioned, I think earlier, I think you're much more likely to be able to, and that person is much more likely, like your friend, to clock that you, you are you are doing it you are able to do it um, um, when when you have experienced it yourself so if we've gone through a certain experience then obviously then if we come across something that's very similar we as humans can identify that we've been through that experience it resonates and therefore we are more likely to be able to empathize um, certainly more affectively more emotionally um, in, in that sense um, as well as understanding, of course, but we have that more emotional uh, connection when we've experienced things firsthand. So possibly the fact that, Ben, you, you hadn't experienced quite what your friend had. Um, you can think about it, you can logically think about what that must be like, but to feel it and to actually sort of go through the, the motions of what he's feeling might be more difficult for you. But again, depending on your personality type, as well. So there's a number of variables coming in uh, and that's where if we do educate um, children for for a number of things and and help them understand that that there are certain things that happen in life then they're more prepared that when these things happen they're more likely though to understand. So it's something that I feel can be taught for certain issues, for discrimination, for, for various things in life we can teach um, um for these sorts of things um, and the classroom is the perfect place for
3: it i just want to sorry jump in there ben sorry quickly um and add on to what helen said because i agree and, and and one of the most i suppose principal things of why helen and i do what we do or why we're obsessed with empathy is because it can be taught and it can be learnt, um and it's got to be uh, and i think that's what we're seeing at the moment is there's so many divides because people come from different cultures, whether that's um, the the food you eat or whether that's the religion you practice or whether that's your customs, your language, whatever it is. And we're seeing this in in the workplace and in schools, an increase in um, globalisation and diversity, a diversity of thought and how wonderful that is and all the pros that come with it. But also we need to then be able to empathise. So, you know, sometimes I send, and I'm sure, you, you know, if you're in international education or speaking with, educators around the world sometimes you're like why haven't they replied for two weeks and then you realize it's um you know I, th- I think I was speaking to someone um in Vietnam and they were saying they've got a festival and they're off school for two weeks I was like I have no idea about that festival but now I do and I think interestingly what you said Ben not to, to pick on your certain story but I think when we try and empathize with people we often do say oh I understand your pain or "I understand your feeling but I actually think Sometimes the best way of empathising is actually saying the opposite, saying, I don't understand. I, I can never fully understand what you're going through, but I am here still. And giving that kind of recognition, and I have personal experience of this when I'm filming. Um, it's, it's why Helen and I sometimes speak about this, but like the, the walking in someone else's shoes, I think it's a really useful saying for younger, sh- younger children. But for adults, I sometimes feel like it, it simplifies someone else's story or context. Too much, so that because actually today we are here and our thoughts, our feelings, our experiences are all made up of the past years that we've been alive. Everything that we've experienced up till this point in time shapes the way we think, the way we feel, Mm. the way we see. And I've been filming in countries where I'm in the middle of Nepal. I've travelled seventeen hours from Kathmandu on a bus with everyone else. I'm, I'm, there's a couple of people that speak English, but I'm with this family that doesn't speak English at all. I'm seeing the mother staying there all day cooking thing. I have no real idea what it feels like to be a Nepalese mother living on the breadline farming. Yeah, I can still empathise with her because with a translator, I can question and I can find out. I might never fully understand what she feels yep. but I can give her the time the difficulty is it takes time it it, it requires you to remove your own bias and thought process and mm-hmm. this is something we do with kids is actually increase their emotional literacy um, looking at actually naming feelings understanding how they feel and you know with your situation with your friend of course I don't know a lot of stuff there but you know just what you've said is brilliant like you know being there and being able to let them know that you are there to listen, I think is important. And and like Helen said, you know, I've got a brother. It's really easy. me. I can look at him and know straight away how he's feeling, what's going on. Yeah. If I look at someone random, I might not know. And I think this is the the issue we have at the moment with um, education is it's a very time poor industry. Um, teachers are stretched beyond measure. Um you know, to come back to Steve's point about why are we not developing this? Why is it so assessment heavy? I think re- reality is that there isn't time to develop something that we know that we need because like what, and there's valleys between assessments, right? There's valleys between uh, schools going to university and then there's a valley between universities and workplace. And all these institutions are saying you're not educating them well enough for the next stage of life. So universities are saying that about schools Secondary schools sometimes complain about primary schools. And it, it and then workplaces are saying universities aren't preparing them for the real world. And I think we just have this time-poor society at the moment. And, and empathy is one of those things that, that does sometimes, especially the more distant you are maybe from someone's life, the more time you have to dedicate to listening, to also analysing your own bias and thinking, hang on, I think this, um, but actually this is the person living that situation. I need to listen to them and whatever they think goes. And that yeah. sometimes is not comfortable because you're like, wow, well, if, that, if that was me, I'd be doing this. And that's the problem I have with the walking in someone else's shoes. Because if you put me in someone else's shoes, um, you know, it's like those people, those gurus on Instagram that like, everyone's got the same 24 hours. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, what if you're a mother, a uh, single mother with three, working three jobs with two kids and, You can't even have time to do anything. You know, what does that mean? Everyone's got the same 24 hours. It's just a complete lack of empathy.
0: And interestingly as well, I think even if people have gone through a similar experience, like whether that's bereavement or whatever else, everybody's experience of that is different, right? So our own experience, like you're saying, we've all led up to this point. And so... And we see that, don't we? We see that with something like grief or we see that even even. even even with joy. We see people, some people are like absolutely over the moon when they pass the driving test and other people are like, yeah, just the next step. It's like, it is what it is. And so, so even in the same experience, somebody like me, I was overjoyed because it took me three times to get there. But the principle behind it is that actually it's about that willingness to, to connect and willingness to be in that space and willingness to 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 listen and you said about time, um, and 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 I think interestingly we have packed a curriculum right um, of things that people need to know or things that people need to do or skills that people need to develop, and actually we probably will develop broader skills and a greater amount of skills if we just experience difference and then are taught. And I think that it can be taught how how to explain that. I was a religious studies teacher, right? So you know that already. And I'm not sure if I mentioned that, Helen, but I taught religious studies. And in that space, when you were in a a school environment that was predominantly one religion, and then you got other people that weren't of that religion and you have that conversation and that culture war or culture conversation, um, and it was a culture war at that point, I'm not going to lie helping people to understand that there is more that unites us than divides us. There is a way to see um, through somebody else's help to see things through other people's perspective and and eyes. I love this. And I I guess that really takes us into um, some of the work that you're doing there, Ed, in terms of the work of Empathy Week. Obviously, um, you you talked to us on episode 164. That's the third time I've mentioned it, about what Empathy Week is. But if you... How, how are we doing that? How are we helping people see through other people's eyes? And, and, and what's that work doing there?
3: Yeah, amazing. And, and interestingly, this year, we've changed the structure slightly, you know, always iterating. Some people would say failing in previous years. <laughs> so I would say iterating and changing um, and adapting and, um, you know, for various sort of business model reasons and marketing, we we were Empathy Week, but we launched a program that actually took five, sometimes six weeks for schools to do. And then they were doing Empathy Action Project. And it was confusing. So we've s- simplified Empathy Week itself, but still with the same premise of film and storytelling. And really, in the most simplest way, I always say to educators and teachers, increase the amount and the diversity of experiences that your students have. And over time, and you don't have to keep shouting. I think Helen said it earlier. You don't have to keep shouting. This is empathy. This is empathy, empathy. Empathy. You don't even need to say it. If you are getting people to come into your school and talk, or they're watching different TED talks, for example, of different people from different backgrounds, over time, and they're exposed to different thoughts and opinions, you will naturally build. We you know call it empathy muscles. Flexing your empathy muscles, they'll strengthen a bit like a gym over over time you will have met people, and and the real premise from Empathy Week from day one, it still is, is that if you take a child from five to the age of 18, and every year they have a chance to hear different people's stories, engage with them, speak about them in the sense of like how their life relates to the life that they're listening to, over time you create this understanding of different cultures, beliefs, religions you understand that your opinion is yours and that that has validity uh, is valid but that someone else's may differ to you and what we're doing with empathy week this year is actually previously we we charge private schools to get access to the program this year it's much more a festival so it's there's events we've got some in-person events for the first time which is really exciting so we've got um a school acs cobham um we've got 400 kids uh ages 8 to 12 that are going to start the week off we've got a big show we're going to have um emotional intelligence we're going to have authors book reading it's going to be amazing film and then we've got a, a cpd event if there's any teachers and educators listening that are based in london canva are hosting us and we're going to have a 100 uh, teacher cpd event all about empathy Talking about that. And then on the Friday, we've also um, partnered with Snapchat and we're going to have 60 sixth form students from seven different schools come in and they're going to have a careers day. They're going to actually have a business challenge. They're going to have to use empathy as a skill in a real world setting. And and giving these experiences, we have online CPD that's free. One about self-harm, one about positive relationships. These are usually charged by these organisations, but we've got them for free. So teachers anywhere in the world can access this. Online assemblies and we've got film-based resources and I think sometimes people think oh it's free it can't be that good or whatever like I just we're really on a mission to be like this is a free offering because I think it's the right thing to do and it's the thing that we need to happen in the world and then excitingly moving forward in a few months time we're going to launch Empathy Studios um, which is an educate an education and creative studio and that's going to take the program our film-based program which traditionally sat under empathy week into empathy studios and schools will be able to purchase that as a curriculum that they can can buy. But interestingly, that's the one that we've been researching. And what that involves is that we have this framework of empathy for self, empathy for others and empathy in action. And it kind of links really nicely what we've been speaking about. And a lot of empathy, being able to empathize properly with other people actually starts with yourself. So for me, when I speak to organizations and corporates or do CPD training with teachers, I do stand up there and I say, look, all my films have bias. I try and reduce the bias as much as possible. I do that by anyone that I film. They okay anything before it goes out publicly. They agree with the way that it's been told, etc. But the way that I stitch things together and edit it, of course it has bias. Um, everything has bias that you're, you're involved in, and acknowledging that, and then standing up there and saying, "Look, I am a white male born in the UK, straight from a you know a middle class family, have had a lot of privilege in my life." Acknowledging that doesn't then dismiss me from in being involved in a conversation about racism or Black Lives Matter or the LGBT community or whatever it is. It just means I have to be aware that my experiences don't match those of the people in those communities, and maybe I should give the mic more to those people and listen and and I think it's just it all comes down to a lot of self-awareness and what we're trying to do with students is we build that in over time so from the ages of five to 18 we differentiate films we differentiate the lessons so actually the five to seven year olds key stage one they are talking really about empathy with the person next to them with their family and with their classroom because that is their world a five-year-old, I've got a four-year-old niece who's at school and she comes and tells me everything now. She knows everything, right? Um, but her world is just her family and her class and her, like, four or five best friends. And then as you get older, when you, you go to, then like, a school level, then a community, or a town level, then you go to a country level. And then by the time you're speaking to 17-, 18-year-olds, hopefully you are speaking about, israel and gaza you are speaking about sudan and everything that's going on there you are speaking about refugees you are speaking about policy and all of these things and building that skill of empathy but i i always think about empathy week as like a trojan horse also for well-being like you don't have to necessarily state all of these things but by giving i mean this year we've also got a series of on-demand speakers that range from freelance graphic designers to um in fact we've got charlotte bellis who was a uh, an Al Jazeera reporter. She's a, she's a New Zealand lady who um, was in the middle of Kabul when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban and she stayed there for four to six weeks afterwards. There's an amazing photo of her sat in the front of a Taliban conference in Kabul. And If there's one thing the Taliban hate, it's journalists, white journalists and female journalists. <laughs> and she stayed there. I, I still can't believe it. And she's talking then about um, empathising with the Taliban Which, when you hear that, empathise with the Taliban, that phrase is just so, my English has gone, is it an oxymoron or whatever you think? You know, you just think, how can you possibly do that? And she talks about being in Qatar and she'd actually built relationships with people that have bounties of millions of US dollars on their head. But she had to empathise with them. And she is, I mean, her story is one that she's talking about her journey that students can access and then the things that come from that, one, they, they learn about empathizing with people you d- fundamentally disagree with, but you also learn about a career. You you hear someone speak about how they got into that. And all of a sudden, these light bulbs are going off in children all across the world that go, oh, do you know what? I could do that. I could possibly do that. And that is the education that I don't think we necessarily have. And sorry, I've, I've gone on my little ramble now, but I'm so passionate about giving these opportunities to kids. And, and we're, it's obviously working because schools are coming back year. We've, we've got schools going into their fifth year working with us. And then they use this as a starting point to develop empathy in their own context, which is exactly what we want.
1: It's, I, I think I there's think so much in that. So much in that. I think it's seeing yourself in others for our young, our young people. Um, like I said, emphasizing from the other side um, right at the beginning, you mentioned Canva. You also mentioned emphasis, uh, empathy and its link to other skills. Helen, I'm going to come to you in regards to uh, some research that you did uh, three years ago, I think. And it's the link between some empathy and some other skills and how potentially Empathy Week and, and, a, and a different base curriculum or looking at things differently can actually not just stimulate an understanding and a growth of empathy in our young people, but also the link with that in creativity and other skills. So, could you could you talk on? I know it was a long time ago. It would be. I can't remember what I did yesterday. But three years ago, you talked about teaching pupils empathy and measuring its improvement um, in creativity. Could you yeah. talk on that and, and that research, I guess, and what that of, came from? Of course,
2: Steve. Thank you. And um, I just I just want to say what an amazing. Um, a plethora of things that ed has to offer and the resources and the stories you've been telling ed that is so powerful and i think can i just say on, on that note as well self-awareness that thing you said it's it's great that we have other awareness of other people of course and we understand their experiences and situations but what that does is it it's a two-way thing all the time it feeds back to our self-awareness and vice versa again so it, it's this skill of empathy does more than it says on the tin. If you like, um, it's really, it's really powerful, and it does that. And this is what Ed brings out. And I just also want to say that as we grow, and this is this is where it should be a no brainer of the um, We become cognitively, so-called a psychologist, cognitively lazy or cognitively busy, and so we don't take time to do these things. And it's stopping and taking stock. And this is where, and and what science, what research has shown is that we're born with a little bit of it it's been shown genetically but i in my with my observation my observational research with toddlers it's been shown that there's a little bit there but there's also been seen to it's also been shown to go so by adulthood we can lose it if you don't lose it you can you lose, you literally if you don't use it you lose it and it's that muscle that um that ed um, was talking about but it's our neurons being the muscles that connect or don't connect accordingly if we don't, if we use it or not. So it's really that that research is out there and has been shown and shouldn't need any more evidence to schools to, to prove that it's something that's necessary. But sorry, just I divert a bit. But Steve, yes, in terms of the research we conducted um, at the, the Faculty um, of Education, it was regarding it was the design and technology classroom. We researched with year seven and nine um, year pupils. And it was to do with um, seeing whether empathy and empathy intervention called Designing Our Tomorrow. So we did this um, in in league with the engineering department who designed these wonderful props for us, um, which taught pupils what it was like to design for somebody who had a need. So if you need to design for the end user in the design and technology classroom, then what are the types of things that they really require if, for example, they're aging? If, for example, they have some type of disability? And it's getting into that mindset of the person you're designing for. So this was the ethos of the research. And what we wanted to um, ask these um, pupils to do was to design for young people who suffered from asthma, so under six-year-olds who struggle to take their inhalers when they have an asthma attack. What is the sort of thing that would enable them to be able to take this, um, this, this relief and, and be OK? And taking into account stakeholders like parents Um, teachers, nurses, the child, of course, themselves. So by using an empathy intervention called Designing Our Tomorrow, uh, we, if you like, educated um, these uh, pupils about empathy and what it was all about in order for them to then come up with a design to be able to resolve this problem for very young children. Um, And as it happens, this design did happen, a solution did happen, which the NHS is now using. So it's not only, it's that thing I said right at the beginning, it's being able to empathise affectively, emotionally, also perhaps perspective-takingly, cognitively, but also, very importantly, to be able to be compassionate enough, if you like, in that respect, to be able to resolve something proactively, helpfully, and constructively. And, and this is, a, I think, a case in point of what happened with this research. It was extremely powerful. It also, what, what was shown very starkly was that boys who typically feel it's a little bit maybe I don't know, sissy to empathize with, if you want to use that, you know, and and use those sort of soft emotional types of um, responses that it's okay to do, that it's something that can be taught with boys as well. And also to engage girls in those STEM subjects um, where they can think. they can use time to be able to think about an end a design for an end user and use that more perspective taking skill and hopefully then um also including more girls in these in the stem subjects so it really did tick sort of so many boxes for us and alerted us to the to the power of this research and to the power of empathy interventions
0: you know um i was um i'm I'm super like I, I love that and you can see the three of us are smiling at everything like all those things the outputs that it came to in terms of creation in creation uh, in terms of young people and uh, uh, girls and stem and all the like you said all the boxes it ticks but not for t- box ticking <laughs> like but it did that by, by as it, it wasn't for box ticking it just proved actually what we were trying to trying to achieve and interestingly as I, I, I mentioned twat three times now um uh, was a re philosophy teacher that phrase around like plato talked about um uh, necessities being the mother of invention and actually you, you the phrase you, that you talked about actually empathy is the is the mother of invention and 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 i really like that as a as a as a thought process and it ties into some of the conversations that we have around business and around education and around um I suppose any kind of service industry, which is that the user has to be at the center of everything that we do. So we're not thinking about, um, uh, like, we like this product, and we say this in technology ed tech areas a lot, don't we, Steve? That there's a lot of solutions that are looking for problems um, and like we've got a really nice shiny toy or a new, really nice piece of software a really nice whatever else but we've not really thought about the effect that that has on a young person or a user uh, whoever that user is and so to be able to then say that empathy and an awareness of other people and awareness of users is then the necessity of invention it just it just seems to flow that it'd be perfect when it comes to uh, business innovation and the, and, the, and all the things that go with that right
2: absolutely Ben I think we often work backwards in strange ways when there's a fundamental thing called empathy which is a great starting point and if we can inculcate it but it's not very nice but what I mean is make it available make it happen from very early years within education in a way that like I said earlier is seamless and that is something then everything will fall into place in that respect it will just seem much more natural
1: and <clears throat> um- we talked about this. I think um, Ed mentioned it. Actually, we all know that this is where we wanna, where we should be taking education and what needs to be involved in education, rather than what the focus is now. And Helen, you did the research, and I'm sure you've not just done that little bit of research. I'm sure there have been absolutely loads um, that you probably spend daily, minutely. Is that even a word? But anyway, uh, spend a lot of time doing. And Ed, you spend an awful amount of time with Empathy Week and obviously you know the, the the stuff that you're doing we all know it but how do we now do it is the question is it a systemic change how do we change this when te- when they when we are so time poor and teachers are working probably longer hours than ever and students maybe are coming um uh, for what re- a reason with with maybe it'll less of an understanding of outside context and loads of different challenges how do we change it is it down to the teachers do we then say right mm. we need to give them more time what do we do to make sure <laughs> we know this research we know the impact it will have we know it's needed what do we do uh, sign <laughs>
0: it. <laughs> up, up. up for empathy week i think is the answer <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah yeah exactly i mean i mean talking about like you know problems and solutions literally the reason we exist is is that teachers don't have time i haven't been a teacher myself don't have time to pull together these resources. It costs a lot of money to, orga- you need someone to organize all these speakers to come into your school. And it's just the time thing. But away from that, I, I, you know, we are trying to plug a gap, I suppose, and not just that empathy is the mother of invention. Empathy is the, is the foundation for any other skill that you want. So if we talk about what we want in our students, we want great leadership, we want great communication, we want resilience, we want the ability to uh, take perspectives. Empathy is the foundation for all of those other skills. But when we're talking about how do we actually then get institutions to do this, I think little things. So the big four accounting firms, some of them starting to say, we don't need a degree anymore for you to apply. So removing barriers to what would be careers that you would need to not just go to university, but probably go to a specific university, probably need a specific outcome. And all of a sudden, these universities are realizing that like, you know, socioeconomic background is a big barrier to even people entering university yet they will probably have the skill set that they need the most or diverse thinking or you know it's, it's these so that's one thing i think teachers get such stick from outside and they are the best most hardworking people in the world i think it's the hardest job i'll ever do is being in a classroom and they need support we need to be supporting our teachers i think we have to move towards the problem is, coming back to that um, Plato quote, Ben, you know, the necessity um, and actually having to do it. And at the moment, because time is poor, you look at, okay, what is it that I have to do? And you go, well, let's get them through a curriculum and let's get them grades because that is what gets them onto the next part of their life. I think the pressure will probably come from industry and we're starting to see that. So the World Economic Forum last year, the start last year, I think, uh, put out, uh, I don't know if you heard of Education 4.0, Taxonomy, they put out Taxonomy out. And that was uh, made in collaboration with lots of organizations, some of the biggest in the world, but also the Lego Foundation supported them in making that. And if you go on to that, and if anyone just searches Education 4.0 Taxonomy, it will come up World Economic Forum. Um, and really interestingly, um, <laughs> if you look at that, at the they've kind of split it into three rungs, and then there's levels. And the three rungs are like, um, the, the bottom one is knowledge and knowledge, basically like what you've learned from a textbook, and it just goes along singular. It's like the smallest thing on there for for the for the edge. And the other thing is like cognitive ability and skills. And then I love to see the fact that empathy is on there as well, and it's connecting. And then they not only do that, but they show how it can be used in other. So they show it how it can be used and maybe designing the gaming app. What are the skills you're using for doing that? And then it it actually maps it. Uh, onto that and or how can you like in uh, Helen's case design a better um inhaler product for, for for young children to use and you can show the skills I just think we need to I get assessment I do because that's how you look at all of the students across a whole country or even the world and then it makes it a lot easier again it's the time thing right assessments are really designed so that you can see Who is in a certain environment the best. But the world's changed. And I I I don't actually have the answer. I I really don't know how you change a system that is so massive across all of the world into a system that benefits people um, and allows them to thrive and allows them to have a higher sense of well-being. But I do think empathy is at the answer, is is part of the puzzle. It's not the answer, but it's part certainly part of the puzzle and i think i think if if companies get clever as some of them already do this they'll start going we're not just looking now at uh, you know at grads and universities we want to go directly into schools and tell them about our company and we want to start apprenticeships and 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 start moving people in because apprenticeships are very stereotypically you know woodwork or carpentry or very hands on and less academic i think if I was a company, if I was the CEO of a big company like Microsoft, I'd be like, how do we get into 16-year-olds and do an apprenticeship that teaches them the maths and the technology and all of the academic-style subjects in a work environment that then gets them onto the, the ladder? And I think moving that way is going to be so interesting. But, yeah, I've, I've just thrown out random ideas rather than an answers, Steve, I'm afraid.
1: No, it's right. I-
2: Sorry yeah I think sorry see, I just just was going to say added to that uh, if we sort of rewind and go back to the school days I mean it's just it's that awareness that I think teachers educations educators um politicians should know about to be able to make space in the curriculum or at least to make it, to make it happen from those early years so that it's something that's much more part and parcel. We have enough evidence now from observations, from neuroscience, from research across the board to know that this is a valuable skill, that this is a skill that disappears if we don't use it because we become cognitively lazy and biased and et cetera typically, um, developmentally, um, and so therefore, what's not like, but we need, I suppose, possibly more evidence, and, and then therefore, to convince those politicians, educators, so that it can become part and parcel of policy, and that it should be much more of a feature in schools, although, as I said, not an or not a sort of obvious thing, but something that should be, like the design and technology um, research that we did, it's, it's combining a, a skill of, um, empathy within design and technology and hopefully as a consequence of course then getting our best engineers and designers for the future so it's that seamlessly making it part and parcel of the curriculum in every subject across every subject where that holistic learning can happen as well as of course um enhancing academic learning
0: love it love it and i think that really um like the thread, that thread of empathy throughout everything. You can do empathy in maths. You can do empathy in French. You can do empathy in history. It's not just about um, we write, we we read English novels by people that are different from us, or we we learn about religions that are different to us in RE. I I agree with you. I love that. So we, we one of the things that we. Um, always do uh, towards the end of a podcast is we do a quick fire skills, uh, quick, not quick fire skills. It's not a test.
1: <laughs> and then, and then were we're like, you, oh my God. The <laughs> <your future's laughs> end of your futurist endpoint assessment. What have we done, Ben? What have we done? How so did I, we get to that point?
0: I want you to remember how many times I mentioned the word that I was an I read the term I was an I read. No, just joking. So we, we do quick fire questions and we don't tell people about them because we want kind of a, a quick fire response, if that's all right. So we'll go, um, I'll ask the first question, and then if we go to you first, Helen, and then you, Ed, straight after, and then and Steve's got some questions after. Um, so the first one is this: I've kind of reckon we've got some. We know what some of the answers are going to be anyway. First one is the future of exams: do we think they're online, stay the same, or scrapped? Ed, or Helen, sorry. Uh, future
2: future exams. Um, I w- I want to say a combination potentially, um, possibly of online. And and in person, I, I'd like to think they were scrapped, and that the other assessment, you know, there'll be a mixture of assessments because we all learn differently. So this is a long answer, but I think it'd be nice to know that we can cater for different learners and assess accordingly because different people produce, um, you know, they perform very differently according to the assessment, and it doesn't mean they can perform any less just because it's a certain type of assessment. Oh, sorry
3: i'm Ed? going to be really boring boring and agree with helen but add that i think unfortunately i think most is going to go online they're going to add in loads of ai detectors they're going to be able to do it from wherever you are um record i don't know certain things about you because i think we're entering it the world's getting busier and busier and more time poor, and so they'll look at how can we increase you know efficiency around it i would like to see a a mixture or like you say scrap some of them um and move assessment into more personal imagine if you could take a child and they had a year to produce kind of a business and it involved the math side the financial side and the literacy and everything was embodying that but that would take a huge amount of time for someone to look through and assess them and then how do you compare it and what is it so I think, yeah, sorry, again, not short, but I think it's going to be online majority majority of it, but I'd like to see it being changed drastically.
1: Okay. I think I know the answer to this one, but it could shock us. What do you think a key skill for students will be in 2040? (laughs) Helen first.
2: <laughs> A key skill. Um, I would hope more and more we're taking over. It's those social emotional skills um that take more precedence, that are there, that are at the forefront, that are necessary, that in themselves can promote academic learning. It's been shown. And also well being, by the way. We haven't sort of touched on that, but I think you know, it's it's those key skills of connection that, you know, Ben was talking about so you know very well earlier and that is so important connection i would hope that's
3: hopeful i'm, I'm gonna just obviously say empathy <laughs> it's I, I just i think i always challenge people i say name something to me you want improved in students or even yourself and i'll show you how empathy sits at the foundation so if that is well-being what, what what does well-being sit on? It sits on having good, healthy, positive relationships, people you trust, people you're connected with. The, the precursor to that is empathy and understanding before you build connection, before you build trust. So if you trace back, and I think a lot of mental health and everything that we're focused on is um, triaging at the moment and um, putting plasters on and trying to be reactive, I think empathy is the most proactive skill you can um, develop in students for academic success as well. You look at the business case in the world, um, there's there's an organization called Catalyst which works with uh, females and women in America if you have an empathetic leader they have shown that innovation increases retention increases uh, all, everything basically if, if you have the skill of empathy improves and I do not see how now <clears throat> we can just be thinking about this or somehow some people still think of it as an add-on if you want to build positive relationships in your classroom and get better academic results. If that is your thing and you're like, I just want to get academic results, you still need to be developing a skill of empathy. Obviously, we hope there'll be more, but I think in the world of digital, connection is going to be the most important. In the world of AI coming up, people, I mean, I also look at myself as a recruiter, the people that are in my organization. I look, can I connect with them? Are they able to connect with other people? Empathy is has got to be the number one skill for me.
2: And just to say what Ed has said, it's prevention is better than cure. It's all that thing, isn't it in the medical sphere, but where mm-hmm. than what you've just mentioned. And to have it right at the beginning, I think well, obviously not curb all the world's, world's problems necessarily, but I think go a long way to helping people understand each other much more and and prevent necessar- you know things happening that maybe could have been prevented.
0: Love it. love it. Education in 50 years. What do you? What's your vision, Helen?
2: Um, so, in fifty years' um, education, I would I would like to think that it's a bit more imaginative, that it's more creative, um, that people um, it's, it's tailored much more to the. Difficult, but tailored much more to the individual. We all learn differently. And I'm hoping that all this research we do, which shows that creativity is important for learning and for it for, for actualizing individuals, for making them self-aware, for getting to the top of that Maslow triangle if in psychology that we know about and building self-esteem, then that's what education should do. It should be almost Tailor made as, as much as possible so that that individual could be, can make, can, can bring themselves out of themselves and self actualize.
3: Love it. Yeah. I'll add for me, I see it as, if you think about it, almost like a gym plan, but specialized for yourself. Like it, it takes note of all your injuries, it takes note of like what your body type is, what you like, what you don't like, what you're training for, what you want to become. I see education 50 years is almost using AI in that way to like really analyze who and continually analyze because obviously kids change but give young people a chance to explore things um, without the the pressure of assessment the whole time and actually explore and learn and make learning fun and teach the skill of learning because that's again something I think every employer looks for is is this person if they don't know what they can do or they don't know what to do are they able to go off and find out are they able to go and use it we now have resources youtube you can find out anything at any time if you want to and i think what we now we have the tools we have the knowledge we don't need an encyclopedia um copy there to go and get we have the internet so we need now need to create a framework for young people to be able to do that learn safely online but do a mix of like everything that is tailored to them and I, I hope that that's what education is like in 50 years time I think it could be even shorter than that it'd be incredible and I think there are schools that are starting up that uh, you know have a fresh plate they can take in a, a first cohort of year one or year seven and they'll start doing this because they'll realize that actually this is what makes healthy successful engaged young people and if you look at what parents are now looking for, it's not academic success as the number one priority. It, there's you know surveys out there saying they want their child to be happy and and enjoy school. Of course we do. And I think if that can be the number one priority of, of education in, in 10 years' time or five years' time, let alone 50, I think the world would be a much better place for it. And that doesn't mean that there's no pressure either. You know, I think some people think, oh, you're talking about like no assessments or whatever. There's still going to be pressure because pressure builds resilience and things like that. But it's just in a way that doesn't scrutinize beyond belief, children's brains and their well-being and actually provides this stimulating environment to learn and makes lifelong learners and global citizens. That would be the dream. I've actually not said what I think it will be. I just said what the dream will be in 50 years time.
0: No, no, yeah. no, no. That, that is a vision. It's all about. It's all about vision. So that's that's great. And I think it'd be very similar. We are very, very grateful, Helen and Ed, for you joining us um, and talking all this. Um, the, the, this really, really important foundational skill development, but also uh, like cultural things that we that we need to uh, to embed. It's not. It's not just a piece of new technology. It's about uh, cultural. Changes and uh, and and a way to think and helping young people think and, and education. And that thank you for all the resources that you're creating. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this or watching this, that in the show notes there will be um, a link to Empathy Week. You can sign up. Um, it is. By the time this goes out, it will be next week. So you've still got some time to sign up to f- to get involved with that. And even if even if you're listening after that point, uh, sign up, get involved, find out what the team are doing. It's uh it's worthwhile. We love it, uh, and uh, we'll keep championing it. Ed, Helen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for
2: Thank having me. You. Thank you.